So welcome to uh, another podcast. So I'm again joined with Anna and we're going to do something a little bit different today and I'm really excited about doing this. So Anna and I are speaking at the same meeting um, and we're talking about IOTKIs and toxicity management. And it's a question that I get asked a lot in the sort of renal uh, arena about how we differentiate IO and TKI toxicity and how we manage some of the overlapping toxicities. So just to maybe just paint a picture. So what we're going to do in a few of these podcasts, uh, because different people are requesting them, is take on different tumour types and look at some of the pertinent issues. And clearly, and, and Anna, I know you know this, in renal, increasingly we're using IO and TKI together in that frontline space. So in the uh, favourable risk, we've got exitinib and avulamab that's licensed now frontline. And in the intermediate and poor risk, we've got a number of options, including uh, lenvatinib and pembrolizumab. And so increasingly, we've got a lot of patients on frontline treatment and renal cancer who are on these combinations, and we know that there's some overlapping toxicities. So I thought we'd take a few of these on today, Anna, and, and I thought if it's okay with you, we'd start with diarrhea, because I think that's one of the ones that, that we get asked about a lot, and it's one of the ones I've always found quite tricky to know quite what to do with a TKI in terms of, you know, do I just stop it? see how it goes for a few days and then start thinking about IO after. So I'd be really keen if you could just scaffold me your kind of thoughts around how you approach that issue of IO, TKI, they're on that treatment and they develop diarrhea. And maybe if you can talk us through, does it matter what cycle it is, how quickly it comes on, those kind of things, what goes through your mind? Okay. Firstly, who would have thought they would have let us speak together? It's a bit dangerous, but uh, there we are. Here we are. We find ourselves together, which is fantastic. So, yeah, absolutely. I think this this and the thorny issue of combination treatments is a, is an ever increasing um, issue for us. I think trying to pull apart what's causing what. And actually, I think one of the things that is increasingly um, recognised is the fact that there may actually be some patients where the two drug drug therapeutic classes are actually synergistic stick with each other and so it's neither one nor the other but in fact the, the combination of the both together but whenever we're thinking about um, which is the drug that's causing the problem I think it is important to think about the pattern of the presentation so as you absolutely as you say so TKI toxicity often is something that happens relatively quickly beyond, at the beginning of starting treatment it um, is related to the fact that you're, you're constantly taking therapy and people will find that it does iterate so you can have diarrhea very early on and then that will continue to happen as if you continue the TKI so not to say that diarrhea and colitis from an immunotherapy can't happen really early on in treatment, but it doesn't tend to happen within the first few days. It can, but it doesn't tend to happen. It tends to be sort of in the first few weeks into the first few months of treatment. So really early toxicity, really early diarrhea when, when in a TKI-IO combination. I'm always suspicious that it's the TKI causing the problem. The, the other thing is people tend to be quite unwell with a TKI-induced diarrhea, whereas um, with an IO diarrhea, Area, as we've discussed before, often patients can feel pretty well, but they've got this one symptom. So actually, I think TKI toxicity often gives you a bit of a constellation of symptoms. So people can feel fatigued, they can have a bit of a rash and they can have diarrhea. But that energy and fatigue alongside a diarrhea is a really important indicator of the fact that this might actually be coming from the TKI. 
The other thing is whether there are other side effects that we would associate it with. So fatigue being one of those, but there are other things like high blood pressure. Um, they can get rashes, they can get mouth sores. Um, so actually trying to understand whether the whole patient, uh, it, what their whole sort of situation is. So it's really, as you know, as I always say, it's all in the history. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a reliable uh, <laughs> reference point, but it is. So what's normal for the patient? What are they experiencing in terms of their symptoms? It's a sort of top to tail assessment. Um, and also, again, sort of the symptoms in terms of when the diarrhea, how frequently is there, are there other things associated with it? Are they becoming dehydrated? Because, again, for, for some, you know, one of the things I think is really noticeable is people with TKI induced diarrhea often get quite dehydrated relatively early um, and they just don't feel brilliant. So I think it's always important to bring them into assessment and actually start understanding what that tempo looks like. And then the question is, what do we do with the TKI and, and what do we do with the therapeutic combination and how do we start pulling those things apart? So I think the first thing to say is normally if you've got a TKI or in fact chemotherapy induced toxicity, normally if you stop the drug over a period of time, um, that toxicity should theoretically be self-resolving. Now, there's always a question of how how long is that period of time? And actually, as a, as a person who um, has a background in pharmacology, this is the bit that I find really interesting. So all of the TKIs, particularly the ones in, in renal cell cancer, have got different what we call half-lives. So the, the time it takes for a person to clear the drug is different depending on the drug. And understanding that is important because essentially what it takes is a person takes between four and six half-lives of a drug to clear that drug from their system. And the reason that's relevant is, you know, therefore gives you an idea of how long you have to have the TKI taken away for before you think the symptoms should start getting better and it's interesting there's a huge range so if we think about sort of the short the shortest one so excitinib has the shortest half-life of around two to six hours and actually if you then think conversely to that um that actually things like um tavozinib actually has around 121 hours it's actually days days of treatment so about four and a half days so that helps us understand, you know, if you stop excitinib and the patient's not better within a week, actually, it probably isn't the TKI. But if you stop tavozinib and not better in a week, it means you probably haven't given it long enough. So it's really important to know which TKI it is as well, which I think is, for me, a really um, big learning point that I've had that actually it's important to know how long you need to stop the drug for. But if you stop the drug and the patient doesn't get better, um, then you start thinking, actually, is this an immunotherapy related issue? So rule of thumb, what the other symptoms associated how well is the patient does it stop um, when you stop the drug um, and actually are they starting to get better um, slowly or actually you finding that things are iteratively getting worse irrespective of whether you've stopped it the ways that I approached is this a TKA or is this an IO related toxicity no that's great and I think it's really interesting with the half-lives because obviously I treat kidney cancer and and again, maybe, I mean, it sounds like we can't explain it pharmacologically, Anna, but it feels like for me that, you know, so cabazantinib, which has a half-life of about 100 hours, if I stop that for two or three days, things do seem to get a little bit better. So clearly, is that just that they're not getting more of it, I guess? It's not necessarily that I'm getting, I've never really understood this, which is why I'm asking what is probably a fairly simple question. But I'm guessing that's the point. It's not necessarily that I've got rid of it all. It's just that I'm not carrying on the thing that's making things worse. Is that exactly? So what when we when we introduce a drug, essentially what we're getting, we're trying to get to something called steady state. So 
you start a drug and over a period of time, normally a period of days, you increase what your sort of stand, your plasma concentration is. And then after you've been dosing for a certain period of time, you reach that steady state. And if you think about it, then you need to take that amount of drug to maintain that steady state concentration. So even if you stop two or three days of treatment, you'll start falling away from steady state and reduce that drug concentration. You won't have cleared the drug completely, but you will have dropped down the dose. The reason that's important in things like TKIs is we have what's called a therapeutic window. So you can have some drug in your system and still be a, within that therapeutic window, which is why different patients have different different responses to different doses. It's partly why we can dose reduce, because actually what you need to do is get that patient out, reduce that down that dose and get them out of the toxic window, which may or may not overlap with a therapeutic window. So you don't necessarily have to reduce the dose, reduce the concentration down completely for them to stop getting the side effects. And again, unlike other drugs, what you tend to find is the therapeutic window and the toxicity windows sit on top of each other so actually you can have a dose that's acceptable for the patient and um, but actually no longer get toxicity because you've dropped it down just enough to them not to get those toxic responses so which is why when patients have tki related side effects the first thing we often do is stop it for a period of time patient gets better and then we think about reintroducing it and quite often we'll then reduce it at, at, at the first or second dose reduction and the reason being we want to get them into that therapeutic window which is often lower than, than the, the toxicity window but actually stop them getting to the point where their their concentration is so high that they're getting toxic side effects which is completely different to the pharmacology of immunotherapy but it's the reason we can dose reduce and still get a therapeutic response without getting that subsequent and additional toxicity response. See, that's fantastic. It's interesting because whenever I see a patient, and, and actually I think what you're saying is I'm probably saying the right thing to my patients because I say, give me the first sort of eight weeks. I don't know, you know, every individual is different. I don't know what the right dose will be for you because it's based on, you know, your absorption, your metabolism, your excretion, etc. And so actually give me that bit of time because I'll need to work out the right dose for you. And I think what you're saying is, it's finding that therapeutic window, which will, I presume, from what you're saying, be different in everybody. It is. And so, but what you find, because it's a window rather than a, a specific number, most people will fit into to one dose banding. It just won't, it won't always be the same one. And it's also when I think when you're starting TKIs, often we have this conversation of do you stop at, do you start at high, at the normal sort of maximum dose and reduce down? Or do you start at a lower dose and, and increase up? And I think different people do it different ways. Often we do it for different patients. So I think if we've got somebody who we're a bit worried about and has either got lots of comorbidities or we're worried about, you know, fitness, but with, with they are fit enough at that point, we'll sometimes start low and, and, and go up. Whereas actually if somebody's really well or you want to get a fairly rapid response, you'll start at top dose and then be exception that you might have to move down. But I think, you know, either way is, is actually acceptable. But yes, yeah, everybody will have a different a different level and they normally fit within those dose bands which is part of the reason that the dose reductions set out as they are for TKIs. Okay that's really good and and again you know this is stuff that probably doesn't get talked about at pharma meetings because it's it's often off license but you know my experience there's a number of patients that I've got on alternate day dosing Anna, and and I'm guessing that's just because that's getting them the steady state so if I've got someone on you know one dose one day one dose day i'm guessing when i've got the right dose for them that will be their steady state yeah so you so you're basically giving them a slight you, you're sort of giving them a, a third of the dose reduction but you don't do that so by doing alternate doses you'll end up with a, a lower steady state but you'll be able to maintain it because the half-life is long enough for them not to clear it so again you know if somebody's on existing you might have a more of a, a difference to keep the difficulty keeping them at steady state doing that than you would do if they're on something like carbazantinib because the half-lives are so much longer so yeah that's what essentially what you're doing you're basically giving them a lower steady state that works for them okay that's really useful and the other thing i guess just practice 
practically for people listening is that you know i think drug holidays are a very good thing when it comes to tkis and i i use them regularly you know for patients particularly when i've got them established or they've and then you know maybe they've got an event coming up and actually it's 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 interesting because I've never known that 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 steady state therapeutic window toxic window because actually sometimes I'll give them a few days off over Christmas and they'll really enjoy those few days and I don't feel that's in any way negatively impacting their cancer tr- control. I think what I'm hearing is it probably isn't and it's just bringing the the level down a little bit and then I get back up when I go back on it. Yeah, so I think one of the things that's really important is to understand the tempo of the patient's disease anyway. So it's similar in melanoma or basically any any condition, any of our cancer groups that you use targeted agent in. So if you've got somebody who's got a very rapidly active cancer, actually, you know, you have to be quite careful with things like drug holidays because they've got a very rapid tempo of disease. Kidney cancer, generally speaking, is is can be relatively quick but normally is relatively quick to quite slow as opposed to really rampantly progressive and so actually once you've got stability disease what you need to work out is how can how long can I leave them off without losing that targeted control and certainly for most people a few days off or even a week off is absolutely reasonable you can do that they they lose their side effects because they have it out of their system within within a day or two to, to to below that that sort of quite impactful level. And then they've got two or three days of sort of recovery time, essentially, where they're not having all their receptors blocked in the same way. They can their, their normal function can resume for a few days and they do feel much, much better. So I'm the same and particularly in my, you know, in my practice, I will give people um, drug holidays. I am certainly happier to do that and something like renal cell and similarly things like um when you take people give people a rest from imatinib for gists all of those things actually very reasonable to do that because the temper of disease is is reasonable i will give people um rest from their um dabtrimum melanoma but i don't tend to do it for as long and i'm not i don't want them off treatment for a particularly long period of time but what you need to get to is a point where a patient can tolerate treatment so there are quite a few people that can do four or five weeks in a row and then they need a bit of a rest and actually that will keep them on treatment whereas if you don't do that they will just be completely fatigued and the side effects will be too much and you have to stop treatment so a lot of it i often say to patients is about working out what the right rhythm is for them um, and absolutely i think you know as long as you're um sort of having a fairly uh, pragmatic discussion but also keeping an eye on them as an individual and um, then actually drug holidays work really well it's just about the fact you have to actively manage them. Okay so then let's think about real life then Anna so let's say we've got a patient who's been on the drug for three months or an IOTKI they're tolerating it relatively well and just from nowhere they seem to have developed diarrhea so they haven't really got any hand and feet uh, and foot syndrome their mouth's okay and they've just sort of developed diarrhea um, how are you how are you going to approach that because what i think we're saying is that that kind of story been doing really well for three months not got any other toxicities we're thinking it sounds io like um but in real life what are you going to do with that patient are you going to give the tki the, the, the fact that it still could be and hold that for a few days or are you going to go no the story's consistent i'm going to think this is io induced and let's assume that it's a grade two so you know four or five times above the normal how are you in real life tomorrow going to deal with that kind of patient so i think you're absolutely right my first thought would be balance of probability this is likely to be the immunotherapy however if you say this is immunotherapy and you treat it as such, you know that you are wedded to at least three to four weeks of steroid treatment. So it's a it's a long old journey, even if it's a short journey, if that makes sense. Whereas again, TKI treatment 
treatment is relatively easy to, to sort of uh, manipulate in terms of dose and frequency and also um, a quick one if you if you stop it and things get better. So what I tend to do in those situations is actually because as we discussed as long as they've not got precarious disease control and you think you're relying on the TKI to control it which in the case of IOTKI at three months is a rare situation and actually you've got very little to lose by holding that TKI for a couple of days. You can monitor monitor that effect. Now if you find that that patient is not getting better or you know you know, if they're a grade two, you've got plenty of time to do this. And actually, two two days on, three days on, they're not they're not better. You've given you've given symptomatic control, and they've not improved. Then I would be thinking about at that point jumping in some steroids. If they have got a grade three four toxicity and they've got severe diarrhea, then you haven't got that time to wait. So I would treat that as an immunotherapy toxicity and give steroids. So it does depend a little bit on the on the clinical situation that you're in. But in this scenario, if you've got a grade two and they're on treatment, actually see how it goes, see if it gets better, see if it gets worse. And if it looks like it's getting worse, then, then go for it and give, give them some steroids. But you've got very little to lose by holding the TKI for a couple of days. To be honest, in the situation of diarrhea, I would hold the TKI anyway for a couple of days while you get things under control. Because as I said, there's this patient group that have this sort of overlapping synergy. Um, and actually, you want to get that patient better. So if you can get start steroids and the, and the symptoms resolve, then really the question comes, what and how do we reintroduce their treatment? And and that is very that is that is very much up for discussion. People do this in different ways. But if I think I've got a patient who's got an, an IO toxicity, I'm giving them steroids, their symptoms have resolved, but I'm in their weaning schedule, then I quite often will suggest that you reintroduce the TKI first whilst you're weaning completely off the steroids. Because if they were tolerating it up to that point, it would be strange if they'd then suddenly developed a, a toxicity if we sort of think we've out, we've excluded that. And then you can have them back on treatment and then you can work out when to reintroduce the IO. So I think the separation of combination therapies is something that we're doing more and more. And similarly, in the lung patient population and the, and the breast population who are on IO chemotherapy options, then often you can treat the IO toxicity and carry on with the backbone, the backbone sacs. And so I think that and that's entirely feasible and, and, and relatively easy to do. So I would separate, give steroids, wait for them to improve and then consider restarting the TKR while you're waiting for the IO to, to, to sort of be managed. And then the question is, do you restart their immunotherapy? Therapy. But I think you know you can you can manage both parts of the of the regime slightly separately, um, and so actually people have got ongoing treatment whilst you're sorting out the immune therapy toxicity. Okay, that's really useful. And then I guess, and I don't know the answer to this, Anna, and you may not either. Um, where does does things like fecal carpetactin are they going to help me in any way in terms of? differentiating between them? They do help a little bit. So TKI diarrhea is normally as a result of a secretory type diarrhea. So they get lots more fluid secreted in their bowel and that's why they get a diarrhea type picture. So it doesn't tend to have too much of an inflammatory underlying. Whereas with immunotherapy toxicity absolutely has a massive inflammatory component. Fecal carprotectin is an inflammatory byproduct. It's actually a byproduct of neutrophils but by the by, it's a result of having inflammation in the bowel. So some people, um, and certainly there are small studies looking at fecal protection, TKI, and other SACT-induced diarrhea, um, and whether it goes up. And you do see some small increases, but you don't see really, really high fecal carprotectin. So if you've done a fecal carprotectin and it's in thousands, I think that really helps you to sort of go, this is this is most likely to be an immunotherapy toxicity as opposed to a TKI, because the mechanism is different. So you get slight irritation of the mucosa, so you will see some increase, but you won't see that big immune and recruitment thing that you see, and then you won't get those really big fecal carprotectins. CRPs do go more more sort of as a sort of systemic, generally unwell picture in TKIs, but again, it's not particularly useful in either, so I don't find that 
particularly helpful. Abdominal pain, again, very unlikely in TKIs, but actually quite unlikely in IOs are not particularly helpful. Um, like I say, dehydration and sort of hypovolemia, much more common in a TKI diarrhea because it's secretory. So you're losing loads of fluid into your bowel, so you deplete your, your sort of circulating fluid. Um, so it makes sense. So actually people often come in with dry mucous membranes looking quite dry, hypotensive with a TKI-induced diarrhea, whereas with a um, whereas an IO-induced diarrhea, they're often eubulene looking quite, quite well. And similarly, because the TKI has an effect on the whole GI tract, a bit like chemo, you can get mouth ulcers with it as well. So again, going back to that sort of overarching sort of overview. But I do find tricaptin relatively helpful. Okay, so really useful. So I think what we've taken so far is we've got the temporal relationship which is really useful here we've got the fact that often with tkis there'll be other toxicities associated with it fecal calprotectin may be helpful and actually i think the biggest learn for me and, and, and i'm glad you said it because it's what i do in practice is even if you think it sounds like io related diarrhea if they're relatively well and it's not severe, stopping the TKI is still reasonable to do. Um, because again, when I've done that in the past, people have said, well, you just told us that like the temporal relationship doesn't fit uh, and you stop the TKI. And so, you know, you told us one thing and then you've acted like it's a TKI problem. But I think what we're saying is, even though we're suspecting it's going to be IO, we've got some time and actually taking the TKI out of the equation for a few days is probably a good thing. Is that is that fair? Absolutely. And it really helps you to say actually I'm committing this person to at least four weeks of steroid therapy and a holiday from their IO treatment with good cause as opposed to being a little bit unsure so actually I think you don't lose anything for those patients and I think you just gain the clarity of understanding what the mechan underlying mechanism is so I think it's a very sensible thing to do and it, it's similar it kind of goes back to first principles whenever somebody goes into hospital and well we say stop this active it's all whether it's tkis or keep you know keep cytopin or whatever so i think it's you know we're not talking about stopping it forever we're talking about using it as a differentiating factor and i, I think it's absolutely the right thing to do perfect and just maybe just the final couple of minutes of this podcast Anna, because i think it's going to be a similar story and if it's not a similar story we'll zip it into the next one the hepatitis so a number of the drugs like you know pazopinib and others can cause hepatitis, transaminitis in particular, and clearly, and we've talked um, ad nauseum about it, you know, our hepatitis secondary to IO is something we see relatively commonly. Yeah. Is it is it a similar approach that we're going to take pretty much with the principles we just talked about in terms of the temporal relationship, in terms of stopping it for a few days, in terms of not just assuming and giving lots of steroids? Is there any finessing we need to do or is, is the principles the same? The principles are the same. The The mechanism of a hepatitis with a TKI is, is more about hypersensitivity, liver hypersensitivity, rather than it being directly related to, to a T cell um, sort of that has a sort of self-antigen recognition. Now, interestingly, sort of in a complexity of, of hepatotoxicity from drugs, you, you do get T cell involvement a bit further down the line. Um, so it's not to say they're completely distinct, but actually, again, it comes down to the fact that the hypersensitivity happens while the drug's in play. Once you take the drug away, that hypersensitivity starts starts um, removing itself. The interesting thing is with TKI-induced hepatitis and other um, causes of hypersensitivity, the immunological principle of you re-expose um, actually play out here so you'll tend to find that people that get hepatitis if you re-expose them to the same drug and the same dose they will get the same reaction and normally more quickly and often more severe so whereas we know with immunotherapy for this sort of slightly bizarre reason we can dysregulate as long as we sort of reduce down that um, clonal activity then we might not see it again because the, the t-cell population may not recognize the liver 
over again. Whereas in this patient, this population, it is a drug effect in the liver. You get hypersensitivity to it. So if you then re-expose again, you get the same process. So again, that kind of helps you understand whether you're, whether you're seeing an IA-related issue or a TKI-related issue. So if you stop the drug, theoretically, the hepatitis gets better. Now, hepatitis is a really tricky thing to treat when it comes from drug-induced. Drug so we, we call it DILI, drug-induced liver injury. And DILI is hard to treat because it doesn't necessarily get better particularly quickly. It can be quite a difficult um, and tricky, tricky character. So there's lots of conversations about how we treat this. Do we give steroids? Because steroids can be used in DILI. Do we just use supportive therapies? Do we use things like N-acetylcysteine to sort of free radical bind? So there's all these different conversations about how we best treat DILI. And often they, you know, actually the, the, the only things that are really evidence-based are treating them on a liver unit with people that understand um, how, to, how to make livers sort of more happy. Um, but it's really interesting. It's a completely different, um, completely different mechanism of, of of toxicity, which I think is really interesting. But for us, rule of thumb is stop the drug, and theoretically, we'll start getting better. But quite often, they can get better before they get worse. They get worse before they get better. Sorry. Okay. So how many days? You know, what's typical, Anna, in terms of how many? Because with diarrhea, in my experience, a few days, three or four days, and things are starting to settle. Yeah. Almost, you know, half life factors in but not as much as maybe I always think it should factor in what about liver you know how many days of holding TKI when am I repeating the liver tests so if it's a TKI on its own so if you're using TKI monotherapy then it can take two or you know one or two weeks to start seeing an improvement so you'll do sort of it it doesn't tend to be sort of Sort of doubling of the of the transaminases so that's the other thing you know when you get a really bad you get grade four hepatitis from immunotherapy you know day on day you, your transaminases can go up by 200 you know, every day whereas um in this population they don't tend to get quite so um startling increases in a day and day but they do tend to trend trend up um and then they'll start improving or they'll plateau but they won't move for, for a while and you start going are they ever going to get better so I would say you know one to two weeks is not unreasonable sometimes longer sometimes shorter but that sort of that sort of situation with immunotherapy TKI hepatitis the, the challenge is that what happens is because you've got um, drug-induced liver injury that that does trigger an immune immune response of some degree it's a completely different mechanism but still the immune system and so sometimes you can find that in the presence of an of, of a checkpoint inhibitor that actually that toxicity is is actually worse and doesn't self-terminate and you need to give steroids it's propagated by the tki but the presence of the immunotherapy is essentially dysregulated your t-cells stop that regulation and actually makes it and propagates it forward so a uh, uh, a hepatitis in the presence of TKI and IO is actually much more difficult to treat than diarrhea, interestingly. So that can take a while and actually you can sometimes have to immunosuppress them, even though the trigger is the TKI. That makes sense. Okay, so look, in the interest of time, Anna, let's bring that into a conclusion. Uh, there's still lots for us to discuss, so we'll go again in part two, uh, where we'll pick up some more of these overlapping toxicities. Great stuff.